Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello and and welcome to ACB Families. We are going to have a really good session today. We are at the ACB Families Campfire and we're going to have some good stories and some good a conversation about camp and a lot of fun. And we have two really great guests with us today. Before we begin, I want to welcome everyone who is here. I'm Carla Rushable, president of ACB Families. And I want to give you a little bit of information about families and our additional activities that are coming up as we go through the convention. We have tomorrow our session on the uh, connecting the dots, growing our family trees, and our guests on that session are going to be Terry Dickelman and David Smith. Terry Dickelman, of course, is Janet Dickelman's husband. He's, so he's from St. Paul, Minnesota, and David Smith is a member of the Kentucky Council of the Blind from here in Louisville, Kentucky, and they're going to be talking about the experiences they have had with DNA testing. We also are going to have a guest uh, who is the uh, registrar of the Daughters of the American Revolution um, Ann Rogers Clark chapter here in the Kentuckiana area. Her name is Kathy Hooper, and she will be talking about how your you can validate lines on your family tree to discover if you can be part of uh, some of the organizations like the Mayflower Society or the DAR or the Sons of the American Revolution, how they go about documenting all that. So please tune in. It will be at 11.30 a.m. tomorrow morning, and that is a continuing education session. So um, if you have continuing ed flex credits or uh, credits for professional development, we urge you to come to, to that session as well. We also on Monday night are going to be playing Family Feud with the Council of Citizens with Low Vision at 7.30 p.m. on Monday evening. And on Tuesday, we have a very serious session that is being led by Mike Hudson, who is the executive, who is the director of the American Printing House for the Museum, American Printing House for the Blind Museum here in Louisville. And it is called From Segregation to integration, and it's the story of the integration of the schools for the blind in the United States. And we will have some guests who will be talking about their experiences, including a couple of former students of schools for the blind, as well as Lou Tutt, who is the retired executive director of the Association for the Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired. And we hope that you will come and share experiences that you maybe had um, in both the schools for the blacks and the schools for the whites after the Supreme Court decision in 1954. And also, um, we would appreciate you know, some good discussion about where the schools are today. And um, I think that all of you will enjoy that. That, again, is a continuing ed slash professional development session. And, um, of course, 
that is open to everyone, but we hope that you will come and participate. So uh, to if you want to be sure and get more information about families, our families email list is families, and you can join it by families, uh, by sending an email to families plus subscribe at acblists, L-I-S-T-S dot O-R-G. Families plus subscribe at acblists.org. If you have not registered for families, we invite you to do so. We're going to be drawing for lots of door prizes after the convention. And we hope that you will, if, if you haven't registered, if you'll go back to your registration form and add families registration um, into that, uh, into your list of activities. So with that, Let's uh, it, let's welcome our guest Jack Fox, who is uh, a well-known uh, a well-known talking book narrator throughout the country, and his daughter Jill Fox, who is also a talking book narrator. Both of them are with the American Printing House for the Blind, and we welcome you all so much, and are just excited that you are here. Even though there are still people coming into the session, we're going to go on and start with our um, stories and so on. So, Jack, I'm going to just turn this over to you all, to you and Jill, and uh, you can take it from this point. Uh, I will invite people to ask questions at different points um, when there's a break in, in their stories and so on. We will invite your comments and also your questions. For Jack and Jill are going to be welcome. So, so Jack and Jill, the time is yours. There we go. I didn't realize I was muted. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I uh, visited with you some last year. I thought we'd bring Jill to the campfire this year, too, and uh, add a little more class to it, you know. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, we thought we'd each uh, read a story uh, fairly Fairly not real long, but a little bit, a little bit, uh, not one of the real short ones. And pause after each one. Let you have comments or questions. I'll read one, and then uh, we'll pause and have any questions or comments. Then Jill will read one, and then we'll talk some. And then uh, we've got a little bunch of little short ones we'll drop into. If that'll work for you, we'll just do that. That work okay? All right. Yes, that's that's great. Go right ahead. Well, this first one is uh, from Mark Twain. You may have heard of him before. This was advice he gave to youth in 1882. Being told I was expected to talk here, I inquired what sort of talk I ought to make. They said, it'd be, they said it should be something suitable to youth, something didactic, instructive, or something in the nature of good advice. Very well. I have a few things in my mind which I've longed to say for the instruction of the young. For it is in one's tender early years that such things will best take root and be most enduring and most valuable. First, though, I will say to you, my young friends, and I say it beseechingly, urgingly, always obey your parents when they are present. This is the best policy in the long run, because if you don't, they'll make you. Most parents think they know better than you do, and you can generally make more by humoring that superstition than you can by acting on your own better judgment. Be respectful to your superiors, if you have any, also to strangers, and sometimes to others. 
If a person offends you and you are in doubt as to whether it was intentional or not, do not resort to extreme measures. Simply watch your chance and hit him with a brick. That will be sufficient. If you shall find that he had not intended any offense, come out frankly and confess yourself on the wrong when you struck him. Acknowledge it like a man and say you didn't mean to. Yes, always avoid violence. In this age of charity and kindliness, the time has gone by for such things. Leave dynamite to the low and unrefined. Go to bed early. Go to bed early and get up early. This is wise. Some authorities say get up with the sun. Some say get up with one thing, others with another. But a lark is really the best thing to get up with. It gives you a splendid reputation with everyone to know that you get up with the lark. And if you get the right kind of lark and work at him right, you can easily train him to get up at half past nine every time. There's no trick at all. Now, is it a matter of lying? You want to be very careful about lying. Otherwise, you're nearly sure to get caught. Once caught, you never again, you can never again be in the eyes to the good and pure what you were before. Many a young person has injured himself permanently through a clumsy and ill-finished lie. The result of carelessness born of incomplete training. Some authorities hold that the young ought not to lie at all. That, of course, is putting it rather stronger than necessary. Still, while I cannot quite, quite go, uh, go quite so far as that, I do maintain, and I believe I am right, that the young ought to be temperate in the use of the great art until practice and experience give them the confidence elegant and precision, which alone can make the accomplishment graceful and profitable. Patience, diligence, painstaking attention to detail, these are requirements. These in time will make the student perfect. Upon these only may he rely as the sure foundation for future eminence. Think what tedious years of study, thought, practice, experience, went to the equipment of that peerless old master who was able to impose upon the whole world the lofty sounding maximum that Truth is mighty and will prevail, the most majestic compound fracture of the fact which any of woman born has yet achieved. For the history of our race and each individual experience are sown thick with evidence that a truth is not hard to kill and, the, and that a lie well told is immortal. There is in Boston a monument of the man who discovered anesthesia. Many people are aware in these latter days that that man didn't discover it at all but stole the discovery from another man. Is this truth mighty and will it prevail? Ah, no, my hearers. The monument is made of hardy material, but the lie it tells will outlast it a million years. An awkward, feeble, leaky lie is a thing which you ought to make your unceasing study to avoid. Such a lie as that will has no real permanence, no more than an average truth. Well, you might as well tell the truth at once and be done with it. A feeble, stupid, preposterous lie will not live two years, except it be a slander upon somebody. It is indestructible, then, of course, that it is no merit of yours. A final word. Begin your practice of this gracious and beautiful art early. Begin now. If I had begun earlier, I could have learned how. Never handle firearms carelessly is more advice I would give. The sorrow and suffering that have been caused through the innocent but heedless handling of firearms by the young. Only four days ago, right on the next farmhouse to the one where I am spending the summer, a grandmother, old and gray and sweet, one of the loveliest spirits in the land, was sitting at her work, 
when her young grandson crept in and got down an old, battered, rusty gun which had not been touched for many years and was supposed not to be loaded and pointed it at her, laughing and threatening to shoot her. In her fright, she ran screaming and pleading toward the door on the other side of the room. But as she passed, he placed the gun almost against her very breast and pulled the trigger. He had supposed it was not loaded. And he was right, it wasn't. So there wasn't any harm done. It's the only case of that kind I've ever heard of. Therefore, just the same, don't you meddle with old and unloaded firearms. They're the most deadly and unerring things that have ever been created by man. You don't have to take any pains at all with them. You don't have to have a, you don't have to have a rest. You don't have to have any sights on the gun. You don't have to take aim, take aim even. No, you just pick out a relative and bang away, and you're sure to get him. A youth who can't hit a cathedral at 30 yards with a Gatling gun in three quarters of an hour can take an old empty musket and bag his grandmother every time at 100. Think what Waterloo would have been if one of the armies had been boys armed with old mass muskets supposed not to be loaded, and the other army had been composed of female relations. The very thought <laughs> will make one shudder. There are many sorts of books, but good ones are the sort for the young to read. Remember that. They are a great and an inestimable and unspeakable means of improvement. Therefore, be careful in your selection, my young friends. Be very careful. Confine yourselves exclusively to Robertson's sermons, Baxter's Saints Rest, The Innocents Abroad, and works of that kind. But I've said enough. I hope you will treasure up the instructions which I have given you and make them a guide to your feet and a light to your understanding. Build your character thoughtfully and painstakingly on the, uh, upon these precepts. And by and by, when you have got it built, you will be surprised and gratified to see how nicely and sharply it resembles everybody else's. And that's Mark Twain, who also said one time, never miss a good chance to shut up. So I'm going to do that with him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> do we have... Uh, anyone who would like to comment, make a comment on the story or ask a question, any hands? Not yet. Right. Do you want me to go over the... Um, yes. Yes, Cindy, if you would, please. Sure. Okay. If you are on the computer to raise um, your hand, raise and lower your hand, it's... Um, it's Alt-Y, to mute and unmute, Alt-A. From your phone, to raise and lower your hand, it's in the center of the screen. To mute, it's in the lower left-hand corner. And for those of you on the Mac, to raise and lower your hand, Option-Y, to mute and unmute, Command-Shift-A. Okay, and let's see. Okay, yes, you do. Let's see what we got here. No, right now we don't have any raised hands. Okay. All right. Let's move on then to um, Jill. Do you have a story for us now? I do. This um, slightly different tone. This is an excerpt from a book called I Think I Love You by Alison Pearson. This is a novel about um, a woman looking back at her 13-year-old self who was absolutely in love with David Cassidy. So, his favorite color was brown, 
Brown was such a sophisticated color, a quiet and modest sort of color, not like purple, which was Donnie's favorite. I wouldn't be seen dead in purple or a Donnie cap. How much would you have to like a boy before you went out wearing a stupid purple peaked cap? Honest, it's amazing the things you can know about someone you don't know. I knew the date of his birth, 12 April, 1950. He was a typical Aries, but without the Aryan stubbornness. I knew his height and his weight and his favorite drink, Seven Up. I knew the names of his parents and his stepmother, the Broadway musical star. I knew all about his love of horses, which made perfect sense to me because when you're that famous, it must be comforting to be around someone who doesn't know or care what famous is. I knew the drum, I knew the instrument he learned to play when he was lonely, drums. I knew the name of the dog he left behind when he had to move away from New Jersey. I knew that when he was a boy, he was small for his age and had a squint and had to wear an eye patch and corrective glasses, which must have been hard, harder than for a girl even. I didn't wear my glasses if I could help it. Only in class for the blackboard, though I couldn't see well without them, and it got me into trouble a few times when I smiled in the street at total strangers who I mistook for members of my family. A few years later, when I got contact lenses, I was stunned by the trees. They had leaves, millions of leaves, with sharp edges, and so defined they looked like God had made each one with a pastry cutter. Basically, before I was 16, the world was one big impressionist painting, unless I screwed up my eyes really tight to bring it into focus. Some things, as I would discover, were best left to blur. Back then, I wasn't interested in, the, interested in the real world. Not really. I answered my parents' questions. I gave the appearance of doing homework. I lugged my cello into school on my back. I went down to town on Saturday afternoons with the girls who sometimes felt like friends and sometimes didn't. But I was living for him. I knew exactly where he lived in California, in a canyon. The canyon was like one of our valleys, only much bigger. We said much bigger. David said way, way bigger. Way was American for much. America was so big that Americans would drive 100 miles just to have dinner with someone, and they didn't think that was a long way to go. In America, way to go means you've done something well. Way to go, baby. And they have gas instead of petrol. In other words, I had learned were cool and mad and bathroom. You have to be careful because a bathroom is not a bathroom in America, it's a toilet. I just like knowing American words because they brought me closer to him. When we met, it would be important to retain my individuality, which was one of the top things David looked for in a girl. In every interview I had read, David said that he preferred a girl to just be herself. But to be honest, I was unsure who myself was or even if I had one, although I still maintained a touching faith that this unknown and as yet undiscovered me would be deeply appealing to David when we eventually met. How could I be sure? The understanding in his eyes told me so. Still, I reckoned that meeting David would be awkward enough without any unnecessary confusion, so I did my best to pick up American. It would be tricky to go to a bathroom in his house in Los Angeles, for example, and find there was no bath in it, wouldn't it? Or imagine someone say, imagine saying someone was mad. David would think that I meant they were angry. Crazy means mad in America. Back then, I couldn't imagine David ever being angry. He was so gentle and sensitive. Sorry, 
Do I sound mad? I don't. Bonnie Osmond's a moron, Sharon said firmly. She was kneeling on the floor, picking at the staples in a centerfold with her thumbnail, trying to free a male, a male torso. The slender, headless body was naked to the waist and practically hairless, except for a fine golden down just above the belt, which boasted a heavy bronze buckle that looked like the doorknob to an Aztec temple. I don't think Donnie's a moron, to be honest with you, I said carefully. All the Osmonds are morons. I read it in a magazine, she insisted without looking up from the poster. There was a prickle in my throat like a piece of trapped wool. I badly wanted to correct Sharon about the Osmond being morons, but our friendship was still too new to risk a disagreement. We liked each other because we agreed. We agreed because we both thought David Cassidy was the most wonderful boy currently alive and maybe in all of human history. At 13 years of age, I couldn't imagine the luxury of having a friend you could disagree with. If you disagreed with her, you could fall out. Then, before you knew it, you'd be back out there in the playground by yourself, sighing and checking your watch every couple of seconds to indicate that you did have an arrangement to meet someone and were not, in fact, the kind of sad, friendless person who had to pretend they were waiting for friends who did not exist. Donnie's a Mormon. I think it's a religion they founded in Utah, I said cautiously, trying the sounds in my mouth. I knew exactly what Mormons were. Donnie studies were part of my deep background research on David. I knew everything about the other Osmonds too, just in case, even Wayne. At a pinch, I could have given you the star sign of every member of the Jackson Five and details of their difficult upbringing, which, is in such, which was in such contrast to their carefree, joyful music. You know, I can never hear the opening chorus of Rock and Robin without a spasm of regret for what became of that remarkable little boy and all his sweetness. Even as a child, I had this overdeveloped sense for tragic biographical information a sort of twitching inner radar for distress. I may have been the only one not to be in the least bit surprised when Michael Jackson began to take leave of his adorable black face and painful cosmetic stages. You see, I understood all about hating the way you looked and wanting to magic away the child who made a parent feel angry or disappointed. When you grow up, they call this empathy. When you're 13, it just makes you feel like you're not so horribly alone. Well, at the start of that year, several things happened. Jillian, she was never just Jill, lent Sharon to me as my special best friend. I was really happy, you know, but I sensed the loan could be called in any minute if Jillian's infatuation with Angela, the new girl from England, never cooled. The uncertainty gave me this feeling in my stomach like I was on a ferry or something and couldn't get my balance. Most nights, I woke with a fright because my legs were kicking out under the sheets as if I had to save myself from falling. Another thing was the headmaster told me after assembly one morning that I was going to play the cello for Princess Margaret when she came to open our new school hall. She was the queen's sister and the Lord Mayor and some people called dignitaries were coming. But the really big news was that David Cassidy had postponed his tour of Britain after having his gallbladder removed. Two girls in Manchester were so upset, they set themselves on fire, according to the magazine. On fire. My God, the thought of the passion and the sacrifice of those girls, it burned in our heads for weeks. 
we hadn't done anything that big for him. Not yet, anyway. The cancellation of the Cassidy tour at the start of 1974 was a bitter blow, but it also came as a relief. It gave me more time to perfect my plan for meeting David when he came later that year, maybe in autumn. He would call it the fall, which seemed perfect to me. I knew that somehow I would have to travel to London or Manchester because Wales was so small it had no concert venue big enough to hold all the fans. I wasn't sure how I'd get there. No money, no transport. A mother who thought any singer who wasn't Diedrich Fisher dishcloth shouldn't be allowed. But once I got there and was safely outside the concert hall, I knew that everything would be fine. I would be hit by a car. Not a serious injury, obviously. Just bad enough to be taken to the hospital by ambulance. David would be told about my accident, and he would rush to my bedside. Things would be awkward at first, but we would soon get talking, and he would be amazed by my in-depth knowledge of his records, particularly the B-sides. I would ask him how he was enjoying the fall, and if he needed to use the bathroom. It would not be weird at all. It would be cool. David would be impressed by my command of American Jews. He would smile and invite me to his house in Hawaii where I would meet his seven horses and there would be garlands round our necks and we would kiss and get married on the beach. I was already worried about my flip-flops. Yes, it was a kind of madness. It didn't last all that long, not in the great scheme of a life, but while I loved him, he was the world entire. <laughs> very good, very good. And that's it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh yes, thirteen-year-olds. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Does anyone have a, a a comment or have a question? Yep. Any raised hands, Cindy? Agnes, you may unmute. You're good. Um, I'm Agnes from Colorado, and I really enjoyed Jack hearing all your stories last year, and I'm enjoying it this year. And as y'all read it, I think about some of my camp experiences I had attending Lions Camp in uh, Illinois for four years in my much, much younger days. Thank you. Where are you okay. in Colorado, Agnes? Where are you in Colorado? Jill was born in Colorado, born in Denver. Um, I live in Greeley, Colorado, but prior to moving to Greeley, I, I lived in Denver for about uh, seven years. Jill was born in Swedish Hospital in Denver. <laughs> All right. My goodness. Was Jack, was that while well, you were Jack Frost? I was Jack Frost on KOA Radio, yes. Huh? Yep. <laughs> but a while ago. <laughs> so, but well, Jill, they, you, didn't, you didn't have an identity problem since he was Jack Frost, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do we have another hand? Yes, we do. Okay, Viola. Hi, Carla, and Hello. everybody, and Jill and Jack. I have read many, many of your books. Oh, Jill. Yes, David Cassidy. I was a big <laughs> fan. I had his picture above my bed. And as a blind person, I remember asking my sister, okay, so on this picture, where is, are his lips so I can know, so I can kiss them? And she showed me, oh, there were things like that, you know, and it was fun. It didn't last long either, but it was fun. Yes, yes. Well, thank you for the read. It was good. Okay, area code 604-760. You may unmute. 
Hi, this is Josette calling from Vancouver, B.C., and uh, I had the pleasure of meeting both of you at the ACB convention in 2008 when they had the reception um, in Louisville, Kentucky, with the APH narrators, yeah. and uh, and I enjoyed the sessions last year as well. And, of course, as Viola just said, I've read many, many of your um both narrating your books. Um, I really enjoyed, Jack, the first one you did on um, uh, Mark Twain. Oh, um, Mark Twain, correct. Uh, I think he has a really interesting dry sense of humor and all the um, uh, rules and regulations about some of the stuff. That was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Good. Good. Um, I love his dry sense. Yeah. Yeah, and as I said, I really enjoyed meeting both of you previously too. We enjoy coming and meeting people also. That's that's us because as I've said before, we're we're reading down in the basement sometimes. We're not sure who's out there. So when we get Yeah, to... and and I also toured the talking book studio too, yeah. and that was fantastic. Yeah. They, um they you know, when we took a tour there. And um also uh um Hopefully, they'll have another convention in Louisville in the distant future, yes. <laughs> so we can mm -hmm. go there again. Yeah, we'd, we'd love anyway, to have it, but... Yeah. Anyway, um, thank you very much um, uh, for all the great books, and uh, I've enjoyed all of them in the past and in the future, I guess, too. Thank hey, you. Keep on reading, and we'll keep on reading. How's that? That's a good deal. <laughs> Jamaica, you may unmute. This is Jamaica, and I just have a comment about the, the Mormon church. When I was little, like three, like three years old, I actually went to a, to, a, to a Mormon church. That was my favorite church that I like to go to. So, um, so I just thought I'd mention that. And also to let Jill and Jack Fox know that I really enjoy the... Um, I really enjoy your narration of stories, and also I wanted to say that I hope I can meet you meet you sometime. So thanks. We look forward, we look forward to that also. That's very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Keo, uh, you may unmute. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Aloha, guys. Aloha, Jack. Nice to see you from last year. Yeah. And Aloha, Jill. Hi. <laughs> I'm I'm from Hawaii. Um, I really enjoyed your reading of the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales. Oh, I, oh, I forgot about it. It's been a while, and I so enjoyed doing that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Did you did you like the conclusion of The Little Mermaid, or was pretty sad when you read it? I will be honest with you. I mean, it's been long enough ago. I don't quite remember it. Oh, okay. <laughs> did you like it? What did you think? Um, it was pretty sad. It was, it. I you know, ever since the Disney version came out, it was really different. Yeah. Oh, so many of those stories, they are not Disney-fied stories at all. The, the original stories are not, are they? No, and of course, Thumbelina was different in the movie as well. So, um, By the way, if you guys see Gary Tipton, tell him I said hello. Oh, will do. I see him often. Almost every, every time I'm in there, I see him. I'll do that. That's great. He's a great guy. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Carla. All right. Thank you. Any other hands, Cindy? Yes, ma'am. Sue Ellen, you may unmute. 
Well, first off, I want to say I love both readings. I was obsessed with David Cassidy when I was seven. Um, <laughs> read everything I could about him. And I actually know, still know the words to most of the Partridge Family songs and own all their albums still. <laughs> but um, I've got to, re- did you say that was part of a larger book? No, well, I read an excerpt from the novel. So the novel is called I Think I Love You by Alison Pearson. I actually recorded her first novel, which was I Don't Know How She Does It, which they then made into a, a movie. But uh, Alison Pearson is her name. Okay, I think I'm going to have to look that up because I sus- I love things that I can connect to like that. Wow. It was so relatable. <laughs> Even yeah. <laughs> and um, I've met Jack a few times at the printing house. Um, so hello again. <laughs> yeah, hello. Um, that that uh, the section of the Mark Twain thing about lying um, isn't that uh, the politician's Bible? <laughs> they they know how to twist the words, don't they? That's why. Yes, they do. I think they might have read Mark Twain before. Huh? <laughs> Very good. I was, I was, okay. I just caught it when, uh, when Joe was reading the time about Donny Osmond, say he was a moron, what they meant he was a Mormon. I, I just caught that. So. <laughs> when I was very first reading that story, I think I actually laughed out loud. She, she meant he was a Mormon, but she didn't know that what that meant. So funny. Uh, Nora, you may unmute. Yeah, hi. My name is Nora from Phoenix, Arizona. And I always like reading and I have never read anything about David Cassidy or Mark Twain, but I've read other I've read other books and they're wonderful. And you and Jill, Jack, you and Jill read very, very well today. And I enjoyed your stories. And I remember hearing about Mark Twain. <laughs> you see? He was a character. Mm-hmm. It's very nice to meet you. You meet you both too. Hope you're staying cool out there in Phoenix. No, I sure am, <laughs> and I like to talk in Books Library when I went. <laughs> good. Very good. It's, a, it's a special place there. Yep, sure is. Good people. Good people there. Yeah. Okay. okay. How, how about if we have another story, and then we can have some more questions and comments, and um, and you know, chat a little bit more. Okay, I've got a short one here. This is a very short one, but I think you'll enjoy it. It's called A Priest and Nun in Winter. A priest and a nun were lost in a snowstorm. After a while, they came upon a small cabin. Being exhausted, they prepared to go to sleep. There was a stack of blankets in the corner and a sleeping bag on the floor, but only one bed. Being a gentleman, the priest said, Sister, you sleep on the bed, I'll sleep on the floor in the sleeping bag. Just as he got zipped up in the bag and was beginning to fall asleep, the nun said, Father, I'm cold. He unzipped the sleeping bag, got up, got a blanket, and put it on her. Once again, he got into the sleeping bag, zipped it up, and started to drift off to sleep. When the nun once again said, Father, I'm still very cold. He unzipped the bag, got up again, put another blanket on her, and got into his sleeping bag once again. Just as his eyes closed, she said, Father... I'm so cold. This time he remained there and said, Sister, I have an idea. We're out here in the wilderness where no one will ever know what happened. Let's pretend we're married. The nun purred, that's fine by me. To which the priest yelled back, 
Get up and get your own stupid blanket. And that's the story of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, do we have another story? Yeah, I'll go a little short with it. Jill's got, got a short one. Jill, Jill's got a short one here. Let me okay. see if I can. She's reading gonna, it off my phone. Read it off so her phone. Let me see yeah. if I can get it back. <laughs> Carla, in the meantime, we do have a raised hand if you want me to catch it while she's looking. Yeah, why don't you? Okay. okay. All right. Uh, Michael, you may unmute. Good evening, Jack and hey, Jill. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. I, I'm I'm going to remember that the next time Allison says she's cold. <laughs> I'll be in trouble, though, but I'm going to blame you. <laughs> I think uh, you might uh, might not last very long trying to get away with it. Uh, yeah. Probably not, but it's great to see y'all. Yeah, good to be with you, Michael, always. Appreciate your daily messages. All right, thank you. Okay, so I found my, my own Mark Twain. This is called Advice to Little Girls. Good little girls ought not to make mouths at their teachers for every trifling offense. This retaliation should only be resorted to under peculiarly, peculiarly aggravating circumstances. If you have nothing but a rag doll stuffed with sawdust, while one of your more fortunate little playmates has a costly china one, you should treat her with a show of kindness nevertheless. And you ought not to attempt to make a forcible swap with her unless your conscience would justify you in it and you know you're able to do it. You ought never to take your little brother's chewing gum away from him by main force. It's better to rope him in with the promise of the first two dollars and a half you find floating down the river on a grindstone. <laughs> in the artless simplicity natural to this time of life, he will regard it as perfectly a perfectly fair transaction. In all ages of the world, this eminently plausible fiction has lured the obtuse infant to financial ruin and disaster. If at any time you find it necessary to correct your brother, do not correct him with mud. Never, on any account, throw mud at him, because it will spoil his clothes. It's better to scald him a little, for then you obtain desirable results. You secure his immediate attention to the lessons you are inculcating, and at the same time, your hot water will have a tendency to move to move impurities from his person and possibly the skin in spots. <laughs> if your mother tells you to do a thing, it is wrong to reply that you won't. It is better and more becoming to, to intimate that you will do as she bids you, and then afterward act quietly in the manner according to the dictates of your best judgment. You should ever bear in mind that it is to your kind parents that you are indebted for your food and for the privilege of staying home from school when you let on that you are sick. Therefore, you ought to respect their little prejudices and humor their little whims and put up with their little foibles until they get to crowding you too much. Good little girls always show marked deference for the aged. You ought never to sass old people unless they sass you first. More Mark Twain, huh? Yeah. Did you? Uh, I hope my was, daughter didn't hear that. <laughs> was that your guideline growing up here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> yes, I, I enjoyed that. That's good. All right, let's um, let's see if we have some more hands. And uh, also, Cindy uh, Adam has a question for uh, Jack and Jill as well. Okay. So. Well, Adam, since you're right there, go ahead, and then we will go to Agnes. <laughs> All right, Adam. Here you go. You just talk. All right, thank you. I wanted to know if 
either or both of you had a chance to go to campfires when you were growing up? Uh, did you go to Camp Tammy? I did. I went to some actual camps. Like I said, I did some overnight camps a couple times as a family. We didn't we didn't go camping, but I know that I have had the experience going to sleepaway camp. Mm-hmm. I don't know what about you. Uh, when I was a boy, we would uh, some of my friends we would go camp at night. You know how that is. You you got all big plans. You make a tent, and we build a fire, and uh, we would try to scare each other. Uh, but we would freeze on one side and burn on the other, you know, because you're facing fire that's cold at night. But uh, we had some good times. We, I don't know if we ever succeeded in really scaring each other, but we had a heck of a time. And uh, then we'd go home and sleep all day the next day, you know, because it was uh, we'd try to stay up all night. It was fun. How about some of the others of you who are here? Um, would you like to share some of your camp experiences? Agnes has her hand up. Oh, would Jill, could you please again repeat the title of the book of your first story and spell the author's last name? Yes. So it's called I Think I Love You, like the Partridge Family Song, and by Allison Pearson. So it's Allison with two L's, and the last name is P E A R S O N. Sue Allen, you may unmute. Um, I have been, um, I've had been to a couple of camp out our campfires um i remember one with the girl scouts we we did the whole roasting hot dogs um i think we actually did pigs in a blanket and then we did s'mores and we told stories and it was great as long as we were sitting up by the fire it was nice and warm but we got in our sleeping bags sleeping on the cold hard ground i think it was about 11 i made up my mind I'm not doing this ever again. <laughs> I like yeah, a Sue nice Ellen, soft you were, mattress. <laughs> you were missing all the fun, Sue Ellen. That, that was what was fun about camp. My back didn't think so. <laughs> when I was a youngster, we lived in western Kentucky. My father was a minister in this little town. And he and another minister formed a Boy Scout troop. And we went out camping on the riverbank when they were so excited about it. And it poured down rain all night long. It all oh. the, the water's running through. It's muddy. But you know what? Those the, the food that we cooked over the campfire before that happened it was just the best in the world. It was great. <laughs> There's nothing like campfire food. That was good. Roasting those 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 hot dogs would be all burned on the outside, but boy, they tasted good. <laughs> Betsy, you may unmute. Um, Jack and Jill Betsy, I'm in Georgia. I grew up in West Virginia and we camped all the time. Uh, I grew up with my a foster family and we owned 400 and some acres. So we were camping either at home or at our campsite. And at the camp, campsite, we did a lot of roasting the marshmallows, the hot dogs, s'mores. We even did some of our cooking on the open fire. And then something that they probably couldn't do now that we did that was a big highlight every year for us is we burned tires as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> we had big fire with that one. That was one of our highlights of, of the fire was when we knew we were going to be able to burn a tire and get rid of it. So I had it. We slept a lot of the times the, the, uh, there were several of us kids and we'd sleep out just on the ground without any tent or anything at the camp. Yeah. And uh, we'd let the older people have what they converted bread trucks in the trailers. They had two of those. And then growing up on the big farm, we would camp in tents or just sleep out on, on the ground on a hill somewhere. So. 
that's I have a lot of camp stories. I don't remember a lot of them anymore, unfortunately, but those are some of the key ones I do remember. One of the things we had tried, we never perfected it, but we always heard it was good that we would take a potato and wrap it in foil and put it in the fire. And it was supposed to, mm-hmm. you know, I think we it. did that with scouts too, Girl Scouts. I went yeah, yeah, with them a lot too. And mm-hmm. I think we did that. I'm not sure we ever perfected it, but it, it seemed to taste good when we did it. You know, I think maybe because yep. it was just we went to the effort, but it, it was, I remember doing that. Mm-hmm. The coals did it, made it taste good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for being here again. Thank you. Did anybody ever dig a hole and put yep. uh, a, a Dutch oven down in it with, uh, you know, the potatoes and carrots and the meat and stuff. And then you go away and do camp things all day. And when you come back and dig it up, your dinner's ready. We, we did that several times at Girl Scout camp. Really? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Fran, you want to mute? I remember Girl Scout camp. Um, we were, we were at Over, Overbrook School for the Blind and our Girl Scout troop went camping and we had the kitchen fix our, you know, to pack the food that we needed and we got there and we got the fire started and we got the rack in the right place to grill thing we got the sauce in the pan and on the on the grill and no spaghetti (laughs) (laughs) okay so what do we eat and so then we and we had made um these dishcloth bags to put the dishes in to wash and so after we ate our bread and spaghetti sauce. And then the, the, the grate that we were cooking on, we couldn't get low enough to the fire. So the sauce wouldn't get very hot. And the whole camping experience was quite an adventure. And <laughs> so we got the dishes all washed up and hung them up to dry. And so it was after a while, it was time to go to bed. Some of the girls decided they were going to get their sleeping bags and sleep outside. And some of us decided we would sleep in in this tent with a wooden floor and it was so cold i remember sleeping with my clothes on i was like numb the girls get up in the middle of the night and they come traipsing in it had poured rain and they they were wet their sleeping bags were wet the (laughs) next day we went back in the morning we went back and we had to go to class of course and we were all cold and wet and hungry and i was like yeah maybe girl scout camping isn't a good idea (laughs) i remember some of those experiences as well we did it was quite an experience and one that was I'm not painting an attractive picture to me. You're not <laughs> making me want to share this experience with my kid. <laughs> what I am thinking about is because um, we didn't grow up doing it, right? So I really know I don't own a tent. I don't really know how to pitch a tent. I know it can't be that hard. Um, but what I am thinking about doing is I've been looking into car camping. So I know there's this whole subculture of people who camp in their cars. And so I know I can like lay all my seats down and get a car mattress. And I know you can kind of kit out your car so that you can just drive wherever. And when it's time to sleep, pull into a campground and just sleep in your car. So that's, that's where my mind is right now. Uh, she'll miss all those uh, potatoes cooked in the fire though. And, yeah, when uh, it rains, yeah. roll up. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Or when you're going to fix the moors and you um, you purposefully let the marshmallow catch on fire and then blow it out, so it'll have a really good taste, you know. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then it and then it gets stuck on the stick, and so you have to really pull it off. <laughs> so, okay. Anyone else? Theo, you may unmute. All right. So, um, 
one of my best camp stories was um, when I was eight years old, we went choir, we went camping with um, the youth opera choir. And the best part of it was just hanging out with older people. Um, they weren't really necessarily blind, but, you know, we had all kinds of people that we were hanging with um, in Hawaii, best of all. And also we got to go swimming a lot. So it was fun. And we got to sing for our parents as well. So it was pretty cool. The camp on the beach? Did you all on the beach or where were you? Um, I was basically in, um, we have a place called Camp Erdman in Hawaii and there's like a bunch of cabins around it, but the beach is like kind of far off. So it was pretty interesting. It was sort of a cav cavernish camp and we had bunk, bunk beds, but yeah, everybody yeah. wanted me to go on the bottom instead of the top. So, <laughs> yep. Anyone else? Ma'am. Um, Nora, you may unmute. Hi, everybody. Nora again. And I have different, kind, different kinds of camping experiences. One is the other and other from well, I went into the Grand Canyon river rafting and we stepped out either in tents or under the stars and that was fun. And we had uh, not exactly a campfire, but we made it like a campfire um, on a little stove or some sort. And other times I went camping on a campsite uh, uh, with different different kinds of campsites and different kinds of campfires and all nice and the food's all great and... and uh, Ones where I was able to eat, and then I enjoyed the s'mores, and I enjoyed the hot dogs, and I go over the hamburgers, and I went to summer camps for the disabled here in Arizona called the Coventry Group Alliance Camp, and, they, and we slept in cabins with bunk bags, and later on they had captain's bags for the campers, and bunk bags for the counselors, and, and all those wonderful camp, camping experiences I always Enjoy it, and then two nights overnight camp uh, for daring adventures for the disabled. For just, uh, and we slept in tents. And one time I slept in ten, once or twice. I slept in ten man tent, and other times I slept in pop tents, and it was great. I had a great time. Camp at the Grand Canyon sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Was. Nice. I love it, Grand Canyon. Very nice. Very nice. Yep. You know, I think one of the things, at least for me, I always enjoyed music and uh, played music a lot. And um, and I went to camp <clears throat> one year, only one week, and, and the other year for two weeks with summer Girl Scout camps. And I was the only blind person at the camp. And uh, But I really enjoyed the music. We would go to a lodge in the morning for breakfast. And of course, back to that lodge at lunch, or we might have a lunch with us if we were out doing something and then back to the lodge at night. And <clears throat> we all had chores that we had to do to clean up. And I always looked forward to the time after the meals, because in order to make the time go faster, we all sang and we sang a lot of um, just kind of the, the kid uh, gospel songs and things like that. And, um, and then at night, I don't think there was anything better than the music that was created by kids singing out in the woods. And especially 
if there were a few in the group who could harmonize really well. And uh, out, out, in the, out in the woods where you really could almost hear nothing uh, at that time, you could hear nothing of the city. It, it was really a super experience. So camp is, can be so many different things for different people. Sounds very nice, yeah. Very yeah. Nice. yeah. Uh, any, other, any other hands on camp? And then I have a yes, question ma'am. for you. Okay, okay. Nicola, oh, you may goodness. unmute. Hi there. Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't hear all of your stories, but I was born and raised in Chicago. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Um, and from the time I was four years old, we were going camping in Wisconsin every year for, uh, for two weeks. And we didn't have a car, so we went by train and then we went by bus. And then we had to walk a couple of miles with our camp stuff until we got to know people in the nearby town up near Ephraim, Wisconsin. And we, my name is Nicolette. And we ended up being in a bay called Nicolette Bay. But we were there every year until I was 18. But two of those years, in addition to going camping, I went to a camp in um, Lake Geneva through the Olivet Church called Norman B. Bar. And I was kind of a, a bit of a troublemaker. And when I was eight years old, I was collecting bugs all over the place. And we had one of the counselors who was in our camp, in our cabin, was really mean to us. And I didn't want to report her to the head. head. So everybody said, they called me the biologist. So they said, why don't you put bugs in her bed? And we didn't know about short sheeting at the time. So I did. I put a whole bunch of bugs in her bed. We just, I just shoved them in there. And, and she, came, she started to come into the cabin. Before, I was just finishing. And I wasn't able to get into my bed. But I was on the top bunk. And so I was left there hanging <laughs> silently until she came in and got into bed. And the first thing she did when she put her feet in the bed was to scream my name. Because she knew. I had done it, <laughs> but we had a really good talk and we all talked about how we felt that she was really mean to us. And, and so she did, she did become nicer. And I told her, I didn't want to report her because I didn't want her to lose her job. But then I came to California with my family when I was in, when I was 18 and my dad joined the Sierra club. So he was backpacking for many, many years and he finally wore out his hip and he had a hip replacement at the age of 89. And he sailed through that. And then he and my mom kept going on day hikes with the Sierra Club. So the wilderness has been in our lives and the outdoors have been in our lives for all of my life. And it's been wonderful. And there's nothing like sitting around a campfire. We always did it the old fashioned way. We had a tent and we had the fire and we had these blackened pots that we used every year. And we'd have marshmallows and hot dogs and you know, th listening to all these stories really takes me back and it's really wonderful. So thank you very, very much for doing this. And this is the first I've heard of you because um, here we are um, uh, virtual. And uh, so I've, I've been picking and choosing. But when I saw this thing about camping, I thought, oh, I've got to go in there. So thank you very, very much and keep up the good work. You know, Nicola, I never lived in Geneva, but I, I lived in Harvard, Illinois, which was just south of Walworth. And I spent several summers there swimming on the beach in Williams Bay. Uh, so I, I'm familiar with Lake Geneva. Lovely place. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Did you say you lived in Harvey? Harvard. Harvard. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. Lake Geneva is wonderful. One of, my, yeah. Yeah. one of my high school friends still lives there, and I go back and visit her every once in a while. Yeah. It's beautiful country. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. All right. Who else? 
Hey, Michael, you may unmute. Uh, can y'all hear me? Yes. Uh, uh, we we didn't camp too much, but in the Boy Scouts we did. We went uh, to this place that around the lake, and uh, it was like thirty degrees or colder. <laughs> and uh, well, you know that wouldn't have been so bad if we had done what they said. But they, they we we had went out on the lake in a boat in the day, and it it was fun. Well. We decided a couple of the guys decided to go boating at midnight. There was a beautiful moon <laughs> out and somebody stood up. Well, we turned the boat over. <laughs> You're talking about cold. Yeah. You know, and you couldn't tell, you couldn't say anything to anybody because you wasn't supposed to have been there. <laughs> and, and I couldn't get my Z, uh, sleeping bag to zip up. So I, I had a rough night. <laughs> I love it, Mike. <laughs> it, it could only happen to me. You know, I was, a, I, I was cause, uh, called a troublemaker in school, too. <laughs> I can't believe it, Michael. I can't believe it. <laughs> Back in the good old days. <laughs> good. Well, the, the best things always happen at camp, like late at night, like around midnight. And um, uh, several years, many years ago, uh, I was a Girl Scout leader. And my deal with the parents in the troop, the troop was at a parochial school here in town at, at St. Joseph's. And that's where um, my kids went to school. And they told me that that there could not be Girl Scouts at that school because it was there was too many sports and people wouldn't be interested. Well, I had, the last camping trip I took with the kids, there were 23 girls and me and a few other parents that went to camp. And uh, the deal was I would do the planning. They said, you think and we'll help carry it out. That is a deal. Well, midnight came and these kids were not settling down. They just were not. And so they decided they wanted to go on a hike. So I said, okay, let's go on a hike. And we did. We were over in Indiana. And we go off down the road. We, we hike quite a bit. <clears throat> My daughter, Patty, supposedly, she had been to that camp, and she supposedly knew where we were going. <clears throat> but she didn't. She took the wrong turn, and we wound up in the cemetery. And... <laughs> and so we're in a cemetery, and of course, then kids start telling stories and um, had to have a couple of songs sung in the cemetery. I mean, you couldn't leave the cemetery and not sing to those who had to stay. So we, we were at the cemetery, and we left, and we came back. And the next morning, somebody said, didn't you know it's against the law to be in a cemetery at midnight in Indiana? And I said, well, I'm glad there was nobody enforcing the law because we sure were making our own laws, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, think about kids settling down. This was not a camp, but I was on a mission trip with the kids from our church, teenagers from our church once. We were up in, I think, North Dakota somewhere, and the guys were staying in the basement of a building next door. Well, it had been an active day, and the lights were supposed to be out, and we just couldn't get them to quiet down. Lights were out, but they were snickering and doing all kinds of things. And one of my <laughs> buddies, big guy, big guy. And they liked this guy a lot. He says, we, we were back in the kitchen and we heard, we told him several times to quiet down. It's time to go to sleep. And 
they were they were just defying that. He said, I'll fix this. He didn't say anything. Walk through, just walk through them, slamming chairs around and knocking tables over. And all you heard was, dang, he's really mad. And boy, it was quiet the rest of the night. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who else? We took him along. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie D, you may unmute. Now, here comes the Girl Scout. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I um, never did really do much camping as a kid, but I sure have done quite a bit as an adult with Girl Scouts. And um, I know which camp in Indiana you're talking about because I've been there just a few times, but there's nothing like camping and sitting around a campfire, somebody playing guitar and singing songs. And it's required, I think, to do s'mores when you go camping. Um, I don't like my marshmallows burnt like some people do, but uh, had a, I've had a lot of uh, good memories and still keep up with uh, Girl Scout leaders. And um, I've had a lot of fun. I love laying in a tent when it's raining, uh, although hopefully it's not raining too hard where the rain comes in the tent, but I love laying in the tent listening to the rain. So thanks for coming by again. Jill doesn't have a tent, but she's got a tin roof on her porch. Yeah. <laughs> and I know what that that's awful nice when the wind is Oh, and it's my favorite thing yeah. is just when it is raining to, while I'm sleeping or when I'm about to go to bed. We had a storm last night that I love. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Chantel, you may unmute. It's Christy. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That's okay. So um, I have a comment and I have a question. So um, my my question, uh, and you can answer however you want. Um, so my question is to Jack and, and Jill, how do you guys, because I just love, you could just lose yourself in the stories that you guys uh, read. How do you guys prepare when you're reading? And then um, I am a Colorado native. And so, um, but I live now in Florida. Um, so we went every year to Camp Glacier View in Glacier View, Colorado. And those, I, I still, we, those of us, when we all still connect and, and with each other um, from time to time. So that's all I had over. Camping in Colorado is very nice. I was going to say, that sounds, that sounds lovely. Yeah, very nice. Uh, how do we prepare? I, uh, I, I take a, a book, I'm, I read ahead, so I know where the story's going uh, and try uh, to get pronunciations down so I don't stumble as much. But uh, I, I like to get into a story and uh, get it in my mind and where it's going and the characters and things like that. That's how I, I prepare for it. I kind I do do pretty much the same thing. We'll get a copy of the book before, well before we have to actually go in and record. And I'll scan through and sort of figure out point of view and character. And um, sometimes I'll make little notes on a piece of paper in the margin about uh, just sort of, characteristics of a character, especially if there are passages that will have several different people talking. And so I don't get confused while I'm reading. I might make little notes in the margins about, you know, this person has this tone of voice or they're this type of person. And that can kind of help things flow in the moment. We work with audio engineers and monitors who do the research for us so that we'll know how 
to pronounce certain words or preferred pronunciations for certain words. And they'll do research on names, places, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. I, uh, when I started in radio there in Harvard, Illinois, when I was in 17 years old, and a lady who owned the radio station told me one time, Jack, when you're reading a news story or reading something, get a picture of what you're talking about in your mind, and that will, that will color your, your tone and your inflection. And I still do that. If I'm reading, if I'm reading so I get a picture in my mind if it's in Colorado or if it's in Hawaii. I get a picture in my mind of that, and that seems to uh, uh, color my, my tone and my attitude and everything. Okay, so we have just a short time left. And Jack and Jill, if you all have a short story that we might could hear, if you each have a short one that we might be able to work in, we got about 10 minutes. So um, would you like to share one more story with us? I've got one very short one here. If you like. All right. It's called A Pound of Butter. And it has coral <laughs> at the end. Uh, there was a farmer who sold a pound of butter to a baker. One day, the baker decided to weigh the butter to see if he was getting the right amount, which he wasn't. Of course, he was angry about this, so he took the farmer to court. The judge asked the farmer if he was using any measure to weigh the butter. The farmer replied, Your Honor, I'm very primitive. I don't have a proper measure, but I do have a scale. The judge said, Then how do you weigh the butter? The farmer said, Your Honor, long before the baker started buying butter from me, I've been buying a pound of pound loaf of bread from him. Every day when the baker brings the bread, I put on the scale and give him the same weight in butter. If anyone's to be blamed, it's the baker. So the moral of the story is in life, you get what you give. Don't try and cheat others. <laughs> That's good. Jill, how about you? Thank you, Jack. That's great. I don't have anything short. I'm looking through a stack of smaller stories that my dad has. I'll see if there's something I can do. All right, here's another one that's a a moral. Okay. Okay, so here we go. In a small Italian town hundreds of years ago, a small business owner owed a large sum of money to a loan shark. The loan shark was a very old and attractive looking guy that just so happened to fancy the business owner's daughter. He decided to offer the businessman a deal that would completely wipe out the debt he owed him. However, the catch was that we would only wipe out the debt if he could marry the businessman's daughter. Needless to say, the proposal was met with a look of disgust. The loan shark said that he would place two pebbles into a bag, one white and one black. The daughter would then have to reach into the bag and pick out a pebble. If it was black, the debt would be white. But the loan shark would then marry her. If it was white, the debt would also be white but the daughter wouldn't have to marry the loan shark. Standing on a pebble-strewn path in the businessman's garden, the loan shark bent over and picked up two pebbles. Whilst he was picking them up, the daughter noticed that he picked up two black pebbles and placed them both into the bag. He then asked the daughter to reach into the bag and pick one. The daughter naturally had three choices as to what she could have done. One, refuse to pick a pebble from the bag. Two, take both pebbles out of the bag and expose the loan shark for cheating. Three, take a pebble from the bag, fully well knowing it was black and sacrifice herself for her father's freedom. She drew out a pebble from the bag and before looking at it, accidentally dropped it into the midst of the other pebbles. She said to the loan shark, oh, how clumsy of me. Never mind. if you look into the bag for the one that is left, you will be able to tell which pebble I picked. <laughs> the pebble left in the bag is obviously black, 
And seeing as the loan shark didn't want to be exposed, he had to play along as if the pebble the daughter dropped was white and clear her father's debt. <laughs> it's always possible to overcome a tough situation throughout, throughout, through out of the box thinking and not give in to the only options you think you have to pick from. There you go. All right. That was very good. Anybody have a last comment that they would like to share real quickly? Yes, ma'am. We can go back to Hawaii and Natalie Barrett. All right. Uh, just a quick story. So we have time. Uh, Jack, Joe, love you guys. Uh, I like everybody else. I love the feature on Bard where I can search for narrators and you guys are always the one I, ones I first look to. But uh -huh. quick story. Um, 05 disability exchange program. So we had a, we had 12, 12 of us wheelchairs, hard of hearing, totally deaf, you know, two blind, two of us are blind. Me, I'm, I'm blind. Well, so we're in a wild bird park. So not traditional camping. Uh, but we, cause we stayed indoors, but we worked outside and we worked in the, in the trees and all that. But so there, so Tommy is our guide and he's taking it around. He speaks pretty good English. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This is in J Japan, Japan wild bird park. So he's throwing us the shower area and it's just a thing outside. And, and it's got a little curtain that covers you. So he's telling us, so here's where you can shower if you, if you want. He pulls back the curtain and to our mortification is one of our delegates showering. <laughs> um, good thing for her though. I, she's, she's, she was one of the ones that was totally deaf. So naturally she could not hear us coming. Fortunately for her, she was wearing her bathing suit. So we, we all had a very, very good laugh, but I can guarantee you anyone, anytime anyone had to shower after that, they'd do it way late or way early. <laughs> Thank you again for you guys. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Carla, thanks so much for setting up all you've done. So aloha, you guys. All right. Thank you. That was good, Natalie. <laughs> all right. Um, I, I want to uh, do a little bit of housekeeping here. Again, I want to remind you that um, tomorrow we have our genealogy session with um, DNA. Uh, the, we're going to talk about DNA testing and how to validate your family trees if you feel that you have um, that you have relatives that maybe came over to the United States uh, to America on the Mayflower or who were in the Revolutionary War or who were in uh, any number of other things, Jamestown, all kinds of things. And we hope that you'll come. That's at 1130 in the morning on Channel 5, on, on ACB Media 5. Um, Monday night is the Family Feud with CCLVI. Everybody is welcome to show up at 7.30 on Monday evening, and three people can form a team. And um, I already know of a couple of uh, people that are going to play from ACB families. And, you know, let's let's get there and let's, let's show CCLVI that we know some trivia and uh, that we can play that Family Feud, and we're, we're going we're gonna to win. Um, on Tuesday is the From Segregation to Integration session about the integration of schools for the blind after the Supreme Court decision in 1954. And just to give you a little bit of insight into that, um, of course, here in Kentucky, we're kind of interested in that because our school was the first school for the blind to be integrated after that Supreme Court decision. So uh, we're, we're kind of proud of that, but we want to hear stories from other schools, many other schools. And I think I know that some of you have stories that you can share. Um, okay. And, and 
Families has meetings the first and third Sundays of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Our dues are $8 a year. It's the best deal in ACB. And we hope that everybody will join families. We are collecting dues. In fact, we've had a couple of new members just join today. And uh, we are looking forward to having a lot of new members. Watch for our um, for our uh, uh, membership drive in the fall. And anyone who joins now on up through the fall will be part of that drawing for the gift cards at Christmas time. Be sure and register for families because we're going to have a lot of gift cards and door prizes that we will draw for at our um, mid-August meeting. Again, thanks to Cindy Laban for hosting, to Jeff Bishop for streaming, and especially to Jack Fox and Jill Fox for coming to share our family's campfire. We'll hope to see everybody at more ACB Families activities in the future. Thank you very much. Our pleasure.